We are talking about God's wrath, as Nathan said. Uh, I'm gonna be in a lot of different scriptures. The first one I'm gonna start with is Romans 1.18. So if you wanna follow along in your copy of the scriptures or the Bible that's in front of you, that's a good place to start. 24 and, well, just about 25 years ago, Carrie and I were expecting our first baby. And Carrie's an old-fashioned kind of gal, so she did not wanna know ahead of time whether it was a boy or a girl. And so when we went in for that ultrasound and, and he put the little ultrasound instrument on her stomach and, and he said, uh, so do you want to know what it is? If you don't want to know what it is, turn away from the TV. And she turned away. Now, I'll, I'll confess that I looked because I wanted to know, but I couldn't tell what it was. I mean, it could have been an, art, you know, a, a, an orangutan in there for all I knew. So because we didn't know, we didn't know whether we were having a boy or a girl, that, that kind of changed how we decorated her room. We, was living in this, we were living in this little parsonage, this tiny little baby room. And Well, we didn't want to do footballs and baseballs. We didn't want to fairy, fairy princesses or anything like that. It had to be something very gender nonspecific. And so we decided on Noah's Ark. And you'd be surprised if you don't know already how much baby stuff has a Noah's Ark theme. And so we had lots of friends and relatives who gave us gifts and, and lots of baby stuff with that theme. And, and one of the gifts we got was this little cloth book that was the story of Noah and the Ark. Now, Kaylee was a precocious little child, so before she could even really talk, she enjoyed being read to. And, she loved that Noah's Ark book, and so we must have read it to her a thousand times. And since we read it to her so many times, I remember the way the first page read. The first page read, it said, Noah was a good man, he loved the earth and all the animals on it. And Carrie and I looked at each other and said, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's some, you know, that's some, that's some modern, quote unquote, enlightened version. We're not gonna tell our daughter that. So instead, we would open the book and we'd make up our own version. We'd say, uh, Noah lived in a time when God was really angry, so he drowned all the other people like rats. <laughs> that's, no, that's not what we did. We, we didn't do that. Uh, I'm glad you laughed, by the way. But we actually, we would say, Noah was a good man. He loved the Lord in all his ways. But it just illustrated for me the interesting thing that we do with the Bible. There are parts of the scriptures that we find uncomfortable. And so what we typically do, and I'm talking about good Christian people, church-going, Bible-believing people, they'll just skip over the parts of the Bible they don't understand or that they find uncomfortable, or they'll maybe even just act like they're not there or tell the story without telling them. We have taken the, the Noah's Ark story, which when you read it in the Bible, read it from Genesis nine, six to nine, and it's a disturbing story. It's a dark story. And we've taken it and we've removed all the offensive and all the scary elements and made it a fitting fairy tale for little kids. And again, we've done that with so many parts of the scriptures that we don't like, including just about any reference to the wrath of God, any reference to God's anger or God's judgment. And some people will try to say, well, Jeff, I just don't read the Old Testament because God's very angry and kind of cranky in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it's better because Jesus comes along and he's kind and he's gentle and he's joyful and he's gracious. And I want to say, you know, God didn't go to anger management class in between the Old and the New Testament. It's the same God. If you've read the Gospels recently, and I mean read them cover to cover and not just a devotional book, but you've read the Gospels cover to cover, you see that Jesus talked quite a bit about judgment, talked quite a bit about the anger of God and the consequences of sin. So it's the same God, both Testaments. 
In fact, here's Romans 1.18. This is where we're starting in the scriptures. Again, New Testament. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now already some of you are saying, I picked the wrong dadgum Sunday to come to First Baptist Church because we're talking about wrath. But I want to tell you, if I do my job today, and I pray that I do, by the time we're done, you will praise God for, for the wrath of God. You will thank, you'll be thankful that he is a God of wrath and judgment and not just a God of grace and mercy. And I'll tell you why. First of all, you have to understand that the wrath of God is not like human anger. It is not like our anger at all, okay? You have to understand that. And what throws us off is that God is so often in scripture talked about as if he has human characteristics, I'll give you some, some examples. So uh, it talks about God's right hand a lot in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean God was right-handed. In fact, God does not have hands. God is spirit. He can take any form he wants, but in his basic nature, he has no physical form. Uh, give you another example. Eight different times in the Bible, God's wings are referred to. I'll give you an example. Psalm 17, 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now, I don't know everything. Here's what I know. We're not gonna get to heaven and find out that all this time we've been worshiping a large bird. Instead, this is symbolic language. This is metaphorical language. This is picturing, you picture a, a, a hen, a mother hen covering its chicks with its wings. You know, doing what she has to do to keep them safe. It's saying God is like that to us. God is a protector God. God is a loving God. That's what it's saying. Uh, a more relevant example to what we're talking about. In Genesis 6, it says that God looked down on earth and regretted or was grieved that he had made humanity. Now, that doesn't mean God made a mistake because we saw last week, the Bible clearly teaches God makes no mistakes. So what does it mean? It's taking human terminology to help us understand the sense of sorrow that God felt when he saw how wicked the world had become. And that was what launched this. Now, I'll come back to that in a moment, but let me, let me instead ask you to do something a little uncomfortable, and that is think about a recent time when you got angry. If you can't remember a recent time you got angry, ask someone who lives with you, right? They can probably tell you. Now, there are two things that I can promise you are true. Two things that I know are true of that moment when you lost your temper. Number one, it was selfish. You were motivated by selfishness. That's human anger. We get angry, not for righteous reasons. We always want to say we're righteously indignant, but we get angry really because someone inconvenienced us or someone, someone hurt us or someone cheated us or someone insulted us. We feel disrespected and so we get angry. That's one thing about human anger. The other thing is, I, I can promise you, your character changed in that moment. You were not yourself when you lost your temper. We, we experience physical changes when we get angry. Our, our, our blood pumps faster, our face gets red, our, our voice gets louder. We, we start to say and do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. Some people act like toddlers. When they get really, really angry, they start throwing things. Well, who does that? A two-year-old. But that's what we do when we get angry. Or we start saying things that don't make sense. Things that when we look back at them, we think, okay, that was a dumb thing to say. Like, have you ever said this to someone, something, some version of, you are, the, you are literally the worst person who has ever lived? 
And, and I'm sure that somewhere in hell, Hitler's really relieved to find out that he is now no longer the worst person who's ever lived. I, I mean, we say things that are just ridiculous. And, and I know I'm trying to be a little comic about this, but the honest truth is everybody in this room, if they're honest, can think of a time at least once, for most of us, many times. When we said things, when we were angry, that we would do everything, we, we, we would give everything we own to be able to go back and, and, and erase that from memory. Even if that person has long since forgiven you, you still, you still hurt for the thing you said. Why? Because, because anger is selfish and because anger changes you. And God never experiences that. Because God's anger is not emotional. He doesn't lose it. He doesn't blow his stack. He doesn't get fed up. God's anger is not an emotion at all. It doesn't change his character. God's anger is simply his settled opposition to evil. It's helpful to me to, to picture God's wrath like this. God is righteous enough that he has set fixed boundaries, and when people cross those boundaries, there are consequences, and that's God's wrath. And so when you look at the story of Noah and the ark, it wasn't a case where God looked down and said, I've had it with these people. I am getting rid of the whole, whole lot of them. It was instead a case where God looked down and was filled with sorrow. Genesis 6 says that it was because of the violence that was on the earth. Which makes you think, I wonder what he feels about our world today with the wars, with the mass shootings, with the rioting, with the anger. He looked down and he saw the violence on the earth and he was grieved. Why? Because he knew, if I let this go unchecked, it's only going to get worse. They're going to destroy themselves slowly over time. So for their sake, for the sake of future generations, I'm going, to, I'm going to hit the reset button. I'm going to do what has to be done. That is the wrath of God. It's not emotional. It is redemptive. And the second thing we know about his wrath, it is always fair. God's wrath is always fair. Romans 2, 5 through 6 says it this way, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. There will never be a day when a human being can say to God, that wasn't fair. I deserve better. Because God's wrath is always fair. God's wrath is always just. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. It's kind of funny, but it has a point. So years ago, I was pastor of a church, and one of the deacons there, really great guy, he was the head of human resources at a local energy company. And one day I was talking to him, and I said, I just don't, I can't picture you doing your job because you're such a nice guy, and yet I know that most of your job is, is firing people. I don't know how you do that. And he said, well, honestly, Jeff, they fire themselves. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, because when you see an employee who's not performing right, who's not fulfilling their obligations, their job description, you know, my job is to sit down with them and say, listen, things have to change. Here's a plan for improvement. If you don't meet this plan by 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, here are the consequences. And so when I go back to them, when that time has elapsed and they haven't done what they were supposed to do, they know it's coming. They've already chosen not to work here anymore. They've fired themselves. And I said, okay, I, I get that. And I know that I've tried that. I've tried to be that way with employees since then, and I've had to let an employer or two go, and it's not easy, but, but it makes sense. Now, remember that story, because 
I told you that story to tell you this one. So at that church, we had a visitation program. Whenever someone would visit the church, if they filled out anything, the next week we would call them and, and drop by and give them cookies and, and share the gospel with them. And this is 20 years ago, and it was already, we'd already reached a, a time in our culture where people don't want to invite you into their home anymore. You know, culture has changed. 30, 40, 50 years ago, people were thrilled to see someone at their doorstep. Now they're not. So we got to where no one was coming to Wednesday night visitation anymore. So on this one particular night, it was just me, the deacon I told you about, the human resources guy, and this other guy, this other guy who was pretty new in our church. And so I pulled out a card and I said, okay, this guy visited our church. We need to go visit him tonight. Who wants to go? And the new guy says, well, I can't go visit that guy. I said, well, why not? And he said, well, because... Because before I got saved, he and I used to go out drinking together and we got in a fight one time and I beat him up pretty bad. I said, yeah, I guess you're right. You can't go visit him. So I looked at the deacon and he's got this big smile on his face and I said, you fired him, didn't you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I did. He said, uh, but honestly, Jeff, he really fired himself. And the first guy goes, well, then he kind of beat himself up too, which I just thought was hilarious. But I say all that to say this. In scripture, when God's wrath falls on people, they always know why it's happening. Check me on this. They always know God sends a prophet or God has warned them ahead of time. They always know. It's not like they're just walking along going about their business and suddenly they get struck by lightning. No, God's wrath is them experiencing the consequences of making a conscious choice to rebel against him. And they know Oh, if I go this way, this is what's going to happen, but it's going to be worth it. And then they get there and they think, no, it's not actually worth it at all. The, the ultimate example is Israel in the Old Testament. We see it over and over again. If you read the historical books of the Old Testament, which is basically, if you start in Joshua and you go through Second Chronicles, you'll see this pattern emerge where the people of God turn away from God and they say, God, you're fine. Thanks for getting us this far, but we want to chase these other gods instead. And God says, okay, come back to me when you're tired of that. And they experience horrible things and they come running back to God. And of course he takes them back. And the, the culmination of all of this is the nation of Israel eventually loses their country. They're taken away. Their temples destroyed, their cities collapsed and they're, they're taken away into exile because God has said to them, if you want to see what it's like to be without me, I'll let you have it. But even then, he brings them home after 70 years. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who say to God, thy will be done. And there are those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. The wrath of God is when he says, have it your way. If that's what you want, I will give it to you. I will let you have what you desire so you'll see, so you'll come back to me. In fact, in fact, the ultimate have it your way is what we call hell. We have this idea that, that God is this mean, awful God for creating this place called hell and throwing sinners in there. I don't think it works that way. I think hell is very real. I think more, it works more like this. I think hell is, it's the ultimate result of a life that is spent choosing to live apart from God. And it is God's ultimate sense of saying, if you want to be apart from me, then you can you can. I will let you. I will not force you to be with me. I'll do all I can to show you that I want you, but I will not force you to be with me. Lewis, in fact, in one of his books says that the door of hell is locked from the inside. 
Now, he's not being literal. He doesn't mean that people in hell can just walk out anytime they want. His point is that the people who are in hell wanted to be there. As hard as it is for us to imagine, people who are in hell wanted to be there. They prefer that to submitting to God. It is the ultimate result of our bad choices. So how does that apply to us? Yes, in scripture, sometimes God's punishments are supernatural. You see it a few times. You see one story where a group of people, the earth opens up and swallows them. Uh, You see a couple of times where people are struck with leprosy, a couple of times where fire falls from heaven. But for the most part, here's the way the wrath of God works. In Romans 124, it says it this way, that God just gives us over to our desires. Your desire is for a sexuality that I do not approve of? Okay, I'll let you have it, and you will see the consequences of that lifestyle. Oh, your, your desire is to find joy and, and meaning and purpose in success or money or, or, or popularity? Then chase those things. I'm not gonna force you to stay with me, but you're gonna see that those things are gonna bite you, those things are gonna destroy you, and I hope you'll come back to me. All the time, God's wrath, all the time, God's wrath is redemptive. It's always, it's always him letting us have what we wanted in hopes that we will come back to him. Number three, a God who didn't hate evil wouldn't be worth following. Now, this is maybe the most important point. And and I want to illustrate this in three different ways because it's hard for us to, to imagine how we can possibly thank God for his wrath. And yet, I want to show you how we get this in other parts of life. So three different scenarios. So first of all, imagine you know a young woman who's just started dating a new guy. And she comes home from a date one night and she tells you, listen, he and I were walking down the street and suddenly some guy came out of nowhere and attacked me and, and my new boyfriend didn't do anything. He just stood there and, and, and checked out sports scores on his iPhone. What do you think I should do? Well, your answer would be, you need to never see him again. He does not love you. He would have stood up and defended you. He would, he would have hated anything that was gonna harm you if he had any regard for you at all. You do not need this guy. Are we all in agreement on that? I think we are, yes. Uh, number two, story number two. Imagine you have a third grader. You send him or her off to school this fall and you, realize, you find out that his teacher is very kind and sweet and nice and just sugar and spice and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's a bully in the class. He's the biggest kid. He's the meanest kid anybody's ever heard of. And she does nothing to stop him. He just has his way, picking on kids, disrupting class, beating kids up. She won't do anything because she's too nice. Do you like this teacher? No, of course. You go to the principal and say, can I get my kid moved to a different class? Why? Do you not want a nice teacher for your student? Of course you do, but you also want there to be consequences for bad behavior, even if the bad behavior is your own child's. Because if there's no consequences for bad behavior, then no one is safe, then no one learns. I'll give you a third example. Let's say, imagine you are diagnosed with cancer and your doctor sends you to an oncologist. You go to this oncologist and she takes your x-rays and lays them out before you and says, I want you to look at this. I want you to look at the pattern your, your cancer is making inside your body. I've never seen a pattern quite like this. This is fascinating. I can't wait to see what's gonna happen as it grows. If that happens to you, I, I suggest you run screaming from that office and go find a new doctor, right? Because you don't want a doctor who is fascinated with cancer. You want a doctor who hates cancer and who wants to kill it with extreme prejudice. And you want a God who is not tolerant of evil who is not tolerant of sin, even your sin, but who wants to destroy it with extreme 
prejudice. See, we want a God who's gonna bring judgment. We want a God who's gonna punish evil. I'll just give you a, a reason why, just one, just one. If God didn't hate evil, then it would be cruel of him to say, as he does in his word, love your enemies, pray for those who hate you, treat with kindness those who harass you. If God gave us those commands and then didn't back that up by saying, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, then he would be a cruel and uncaring God. But because he does say that, we can have confidence. When we are mistreated, when we're abused, when we're hurt, when there are people who just seem to be sent by the devil himself to make our lives miserable, we can tell ourselves, I'm going to respond like God told me to. With all the strength that I have, I'm gonna treat them with love, I'm gonna pray for them, I'm gonna do what God has commanded because I know that one of two things is gonna happen. Either they're gonna be so ashamed after they see the way that I respond that they're gonna turn to God and repent and be transformed or they're gonna face his judgment. Either way, I get justice. Either way, if I take matters into my own hands, God's gonna say, okay, fine, it's your job then. But if I leave it in his hands, justice will be done one way or the other. Why? Because we have a God of wrath. You see, without wrath, there's no real love. Without wrath, there's just sticky, gooey sentiment. But wrath makes love real because wrath hates what hurts us. So with that in mind, I want you to think about the end of the Noah story. How does it end? And I'm not talking about the part where Noah, uh, you know, gets drunk and takes all his clothes off. That's, yeah, that's not for today. I, by the way, I'll have to be a much better preacher before I ever preach a sermon on that. Y'all pray for me. And, and right now, some of y'all are like, man, I need to read Genesis again. I don't know that. No, I'm talking about when God takes Noah and shows him the rainbow and says, that's our sign. That's that's the sign of the covenant between me and you, between me and humanity, that I will never flood the world again. Why did God choose the rainbow? You ever thought about this? I can't honestly answer that because the Bible doesn't say why, but I have a theory. It's not my theory. I heard it from someone else, but I like it. And I want to share it with you. So the rainbow, what is it shaped like? It's shaped like a bow. What, what do I mean? Not the kind of bow a little girl wears on her head, the kind of bow that an archer shoots, or, or a hunter, right? So if the rainbow is symbolizing an actual weapon, which way is it pointing? Is it pointing towards us or towards God? It's pointing up. Now again, the Bible doesn't say this is why God chose the rainbow, so this is just all speculation. But maybe God chose the rainbow as a, as a way to say, listen, the ultimate wrath is gonna fall on me. The ultimate punishment is mine. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what you've done. Here's what I know for certain. This is not theory. This is not speculation. The cross is where God's wrath and God's love met. The cross is where God took care of our sin forever, destroyed it, and also rescued us. And there was only one way to do that. There was only one way he could, he could his righteousness could destroy sin utterly, which it had to and his people could be redeemed completely. And that was through Jesus dying for us. So at the cross, God fired an arrow at sin that killed it forever. And God's love took our place. 
And that's the story of, of the gospel. That's why we're here. So maybe you're here struggling with some bitterness or resentment towards somebody who's hurt you in the past or who's hurting you now. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people who's become very cynical and hopeless about all the evil in the world and nothing's ever gonna get better. Maybe, maybe you've become too content with the sin in your own life. And maybe you haven't even come to the point where you've given your heart to Christ and received redemption. I just wanna remind you, the bow is pointing upwards. God, God's wrath hates our sin and praise God for it, but God's love rescues us. So I'm asking you to come to him and to be redeemed today.